Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. I am really excited to dive into where we're going today and, and what we're going to be looking at as we look to, to gain a little more perspective and a little, little clearer perspective again on who Jesus is. You know, our, our vision here at First Christian Church is to lead people closer to Jesus. And if we're going to lead people closer to Jesus, it's kind of important that we're realistic and knowledgeable about who Jesus is and all of who Jesus is. Because sometimes it feels as though we, we have our little niches of who we want Jesus to be and who we believe Jesus is, but, but sometimes we don't have the whole picture or we don't present the whole picture in fact, there's a book that's been written called He Gets Us that uh, is put together by, by Max Licato, and uh, that book's actually available on our church app, on the FCC app. If you go to the He Gets Us button, you'll see that you can order that from Amazon, or, or, or uh, you can get that book really anywhere that you want to do that. You can see it on the landing page on our website as well. But in that book, it actually talks about the fact that when it comes to these ads that are flowing on TV and and when it comes to, to who Jesus is in our culture, that sometimes the description of Jesus that's given, it's not so much that the description that people hear or that people get or that people perceive is incorrect, it's just incomplete. For us to fully understand Jesus, we can't have just a portion of Jesus explained to us. We need to understand the full version of Jesus. And so through this series, we're kind of hoping to fill in some of those gaps that we have and some of the holes that exist in even how some of us inside the church think about Jesus and also those who, who maybe haven't been part of church before think about Jesus. And last week we, we looked into the idea that Jesus is fun and in that process and in that effort trying to point out that it's pretty clear in scripture that Jesus enjoyed life and that Jesus wanted you to enjoy life too. Again, a more complete picture of Jesus, but th th this week we're gonna switch gears a little bit. And we're still talking about the same guy. We're still talking about the same Jesus. But today, I wanna talk about how generous Jesus was and how generous Jesus is. But when we hear that word generous, we almost always jump and assume that we're talking about money. But really, there's not a lot of places in scripture where you're gonna find Jesus handing out money to people or even having a whole lot of money on him. Jesus wasn't really one to hand out money. His generosity showed up in different forms. His generosity showed up in forms of compassion and empathy, and listening ear, and caring touch. Jesus was actually the first one who drove home the idea of a mantra of, I see you. That's not a new thing. Jesus was the originator of that. He, he was someone who saw those folks who felt invisible in their culture. And that compassion and that mercy and that love, that was the generosity that Jesus doled out. And as Jesus doled it out, even by today's standards, what he did and how much of it he gave was, was seen and is seen as excessive. And yet so much of those moments of generosity, so much of that compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness and empathy and I see you kind of moment 
happened around a dinner table for Jesus. So many of those conversations happened at meals. I mean, re repeatedly, Jesus sat down for a meal and a chat that turned into something far more incredible than the person who was in the conversation with Jesus ever thought it would be. But that's not always how we live anymore when it comes to meals and dinner time. I mean, life and meals have changed, and they've changed really throughout history, but they certainly seem to have changed just in my lifetime. Because there was a, a time, there was a season when I was much younger when breakfast, lunch, and dinner was just expected. And breakfast, lunch, and dinner was something that kids could depend on. That's certainly not the case anymore. A lot of our homes, we don't have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have a couple of meals, and then we, we tell our family that we're just going to kind of snack our way through the rest of it. Have you ever used that phrase in your home? We're going to snack our way through. And a lot of those times in the past, at least one of those meals happened with the entire family gathered around the table to talk about the day, to talk about the situations going on in the world, whatever the case might be, everyone was going to participate in a conversation that happened around the table. And even in those meals that didn't include everybody, you never really ate alone. There was always somebody there, whether it was family or friends or coworkers or, or clients, you were going to eat with someone. We don't do that anymore. We have meals now where um, we're in such a rush and life is so busy that we're just going to take a meal and eat it at our desk. There's a bunch of us here who do that on a regular basis. Or it's not so much that we, we just don't want to worry about or work in somebody else into our time of, me, of meals and dinner or lunch, but we kind of fit those things into a multitask moment where we're going to be doing something else while we're eating. So drive-throughs love this. Man, the drive-through industry loves how busy life has gotten. Because you put something between two pieces of bread, and now, now we can multitask, okay? And so that's all that matters. Burger industry, sandwich industry, chicken industry, just all going up because of how busy life has become. Because when you're going through a drive-thru and you know you're going to be driving, you're, you're probably not going to order soup. You can try it. It's not a good time, okay? Salads, probably not. Sandwiches, for sure. Because a sandwich allows you to multitask while you're driving because it's important to only be taking up one hand because you need the other hand to read through your text messages and to write emails. <laughs> so meals have changed. And that moment of sitting around the dinner table and being involved in a conversation, it's just not the same anymore. Somehow the rest of life has just become so much more important than it was in the ancient world. Or maybe we've just allowed that to happen. See, in the ancient world, um, a dinner was almost always a multi-course event and a multi-hour event. And when you realize that as we read through the Gospels, where we read about the life and the stories of Jesus, what's captured for us there is really just about three years of Jesus' life, somewhere around the age of 30 to 32 or 33. That's what we have recorded in the life of Jesus and of all the stories that exist, there's a vast majority of them that happen around a dinner table or that happen at a meal where there's conversation that takes place. So many moments of compassion and empathy and I see you. 
that happened around a dinner table with Jesus. And just some really quick examples of that. There's Matthew's dinner party that we talked about last week. That shows up in Luke chapter 5. There's a dinner that Jesus had at Simon the leper's house. That's in Matthew chapter 26, and it's important to recognize that is different than the dinner party that Jesus went to at a Pharisee's house, who's also named Simon. That story shows up in Luke chapter 7. There's the dinner that he was uh, waiting to have with Mary and Martha at their home, if you'll remember, and Martha was trying to get everything ready. That's in Luke chapter 10. And of course, there's the meal that's recorded by all the gospel writers that happened in the upper room where Jesus got his 12 together. And they shared in what we call the Last Supper together. A few days after that one, Jesus sat down for breakfast with all of the 12 gathered together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and had a campfire going and he he cooked breakfast for them. And one of the greatest expressions of compassion happened in the life of Peter over that campfire and over that meal as Jesus forgave him for abandoning Jesus, for denying Jesus. All kinds of meals, all kinds of conversations, all kinds of generosity being passed out by Jesus. Jesus also had dinner with the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. That's uh, Luke chapter 24. After his resurrection, he even had meals with people. And then on top of that, there's the, the, the fact that, that some of the greatest miracles that we read about and know about and the ones that are probably most well-known, even to those who really don't go to church and don't read their Bibles much at all, are, are, are stories about meals. There was a moment when Jesus was teaching and there were 5,000 people who had not uh, eaten yet and they were growing hungry and Jesus performed a miracle and he fed 5,000 people. The feeding of the 5,000, there's another story very similar to that that shows up in one of the gospels called the feeding of the 4,000, another group that was gathered, they were growing hungry and Jesus fed them and the generosity of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus comes out in the meal itself. And with just the sheer volume of meals and dinner tables and conversations that are happening, there's something largely important in those moments that we can miss we don't pay attention to the times that Jesus spent around the table with people. In every single one of those cases, there is something true that I'm not sure every one of us believes is true. That Jesus wanted to be there. Jesus wanted to be at the dinner table. Jesus wanted to be at those meals. Jesus wanted to be with those people. Jesus wanted to be in those conversations. Jesus wanted to share that generosity. And I've talked about this before, but there's that feeling that we get on Christmas morning when we're all gathered together to to open presents, and, and it's not the excitement and expectation necessarily to open your own gift and see what somebody got for you. It's far more the anticipation and the eagerness that you have to see someone else open what you've gotten for them. 
You can't wait for that moment to take place. You can't wait for them to, to open it up and see this thing that you really thought through, that, that you know they're gonna love, and you can't wait to see the joy on their face, and there is an eagerness that's waiting for that moment to happen. Once Jesus sat down with his 12 guys in the upper room, and they were all seated around the table, he looked them in the eyes and he said to them, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Or there's the moment that he saw and noticed a small tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't a follower of Jesus. He just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to get a glimpse of the miracle worker as he passed by. And so he climbed up into a tree because he was a small man. He needed to get where he could see over top of people. And there's this whole parade of folks who are going by and Jesus is right in the middle of it. And in the middle of the parade, Jesus stopped everybody right underneath the tree that held Zacchaeus. And he looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Do you hear the eagerness that's in Jesus' voice? He wants to go and, and sit at the dinner table with Zacchaeus. It's the same voice that didn't want to send the crowds away but wanted to feed the 5,000 and wanted to feed the 4,000. It's the same eagerness that was anxious and wanting to be with his disciples in the upper room in, for that meal that night. He knew what was still to come. He knew what was on the other side of it, but he desperately was eager to be with his guys. Jesus is eagerly generous. He's eagerly awaiting the opportunity to pass out compassion and empathy and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. I was at a concert in Nashville last week and across the crowd, I saw um, a person walk in who was extremely famous to me. There's a person who was a 80s and 90s Christian music icon that I had grown up listening to, and, and then when he was kind of done with that part of his career, he became a producer and produced some great music that I'd listened to, and then he went back into performing and did some more music, and, and, and when he walked in, I gotta admit, I was really geeked out and kind of starstruck in the moment, and I've had those moments before where I've kind of frozen and didn't know what to do, and and was afraid to even go and talk because I thought I'd you know, stumble over my words and didn't want to make a fool of myself. And I was starstruck. And I texted my wife about it and told her, and um, she spoke into my life with the boldness that she often does. And she said, don't be a girl, go get a picture. <laughs> and so I started over. And as I was making my way over to him, I noticed that just beyond him was a friend of mine that I had not seen in six or seven years. 
I had seen things happening in his life on Facebook, but I hadn't seen him to have a conversation with him in like six or seven years. And in that moment, it turns out that friendstruck trumps starstruck every single time. And I redirected my course and I sped up to go see my friend. And when I got to him, it, it wasn't even words, it was just arms wide open and we hugged each other and caught up. I still got my picture with the icon, just to be clear. <laughs> but I was far more eager about the time that I was gonna get to spend with my friend. I'm not sure that we understand this part about Jesus well enough. It's not just that he has compassion for us, it's not just that he saves us, it's not just that he loves us, and it's not just that he has mercy on us, and it's not just that he forgives us, it's that he wants to do that. And that he is eager to speed up his direction towards us and throw his arms around us. And, and it's not even just that he is eager to hang out with us, he's actually eager to pour out his generosity on us and to give compassion and empathy and I see you and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And he showed that on multiple occasions. There's one dinner that Jesus was uh, invited to, it was at the house of a, a Pharisee. And while he was there, and the meal was being served, there was a woman who walked in. Most people believe that she was a, a prostitute. And she came into the house and she started anointing the feet of Jesus. And she knew full well who was in the room and she knew full well whose house it was. And she knew that the people that were gathered around that table were people who would judge her and people who would ridicule her and people who would shame her for her lifestyle. There are people in our world who experience that on a pretty frequent basis, especially from those of us who are in the church and call ourselves followers of Jesus. They feel that judgment and shame and ridicule. But she knew that everybody at that table would feel that way about her except Jesus the one we follow. And to her, it was worth the shame and the embarrassment and the ridicule and the loss of whatever last stitch of pride that she had to show respect and love to someone as generous as Jesus. And then the murmuring started. And the judgment around the room started to pick up and the noise was building. And it was in that moment that Jesus stopped the noise with a question. And he said this. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he 
forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon, whose house it was, he was the Pharisee that had invited Jesus over. He was the one who had all the other Pharisees and teachers of the law that were sitting at the table. He replied and said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The atmosphere of that whole house was changed on a dime by the words and the actions of Jesus. They were changed by his generosity, not the generosity of, of money, but from Jesus it was the generosity of mercy, and the generosity of protection the generosity of forgiveness and rewriting a story and life change. No one could change the attitude that was in the room that night except for Jesus. And it came at a cost for him. Because for all the negative talk and all of the shame and all the ridicule that was being leveled at this woman who walked in by those who were sitting around the table that would have eventually been talked about the next day and the next day and the next day after that night. All of that was now being directed at Jesus. The story continues on that the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, again giving her a way out, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the generosity of Jesus. He does what only he can do, even when you didn't even know he could do it. And what he does and what he gives is far more in every moment than you could possibly imagine or expect. We may not always see it correctly, we may not always understand his compassion and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in exactly the right balance. But the generosity of Jesus is wonderful. And it is glorious. And it is lavish. It is over the top. It is so much more than we could ever expect. Paul writes about that very thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. This is the message. It says this, 
talking about God's compassion for us. It says, what pleasure he took in planning all of this. Okay, right there, just kind of pointing out to us that again, God was eager to bring us into a relationship with him. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Jesus eagerly wants to be generous with us, but Jesus is also lavishly generous. I mean, go back to that night in, in, in Simon's house and the prostitute at Jesus' feet. It would have been enough for Jesus to just say thank you to this woman who poured out her tears and her perfume on his feet. That would have been enough. It was more than enough when he also guarded her from the ridicule that she was going to receive and protected her. But it was completely over the top when Jesus offered this woman forgiveness of sins right there in that moment. She didn't come looking for that. That's not what she was expecting out of the night. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to get a glimpse of him. It never crossed his mind that he would be having Jesus over to his house for dinner. When Simon Peter got to sit down with Jesus at the beach and gather around a campfire and be included with everybody else in that moment while Jesus made breakfast for them, although it was breakfast with fish. I'm not really sure about all of that. That's not really appetizing to me, but Jesus was okay with it. But in that moment, Peter was just hoping that Jesus would even talk to him. That he could kind of slowly be included back into this friend group again. This is, this is great news. He never imagined that Jesus would pour out forgiveness on Peter for his actions of abandonment and denial. But see, Jesus is lavishly, wonderfully, over the top, gloriously generous with you, with, with, with me. One more meal. This isn't one that Jesus participated in, it's one that Jesus told us about. It's in Luke chapter 14, and Jesus said this, there was a certain man who was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everybody had a reason for why they couldn't make it. Why it just wasn't going to work out with their schedule this time. Why they thought they could come before, but now they didn't really want to do that. They were already, you know, underneath the blanket, sitting on the couch. They weren't really interested in participating. And Jesus lists off some of the excuses, but when you consider the banquet that had been prepared and just how lavish it was and just how over the top it was and how they were just given free seats to come and sit at this incredible feast, all of the reasons and all of the excuses stunk. And so Jesus continues the story. He says, then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. 
Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. This is the final piece of the puzzle to the generosity of Jesus. It's a generosity that is eager. He wants to be generous with us. It's also a generosity that's lavish. It's way over the top. It's not what we expect. It's not even what we could possibly imagine. But the generosity of Jesus is also endlessly generous. His generosity doesn't stop just before you find him. Have you ever been in line for the movies and it's a big line and you're watching the box office in front of you and you're counting the people because you're thinking, I know how big that movie theater is and it seems like there's more people here than can fit into that room and at some point they're gonna cut us off and I'm trying to figure out whether I'm gonna get in or maybe you're at an amusement park and there's been a ride that's been shut down all day and suddenly it reopens and everyone rushes over and you're hoping that you can get on the ride before it shuts down again because we all know it's going to shut down again. And, and we're not really concerned about safety. We're just ready to get back on the ride. And we can't wait to get on the ride, but we're starting to see the line move and we're, we're hopeful that we're going to get there, but we're also fearful that they're going to kind of pull the gate down and say, sorry, closed again. We're just kind of anticipating, and sometimes the rope gets pulled across, and sometimes the gate goes down, and sometimes the sign goes up that says sold out. And when that happens, there's a little part of us that admits that that's what we were expecting to happen. He just kind of anticipated that it wasn't going to work out for you because it never seems to work out for you. And when it comes to Jesus' compassion and mercy and forgiveness and love and grace, for some of us and some of the people that we know, that pessimistic mind takes over and we start to figure that that's how it's going to work out this time with Jesus too. Somehow we're convinced, or sometimes people that we know are convinced that their sins must be just too much, or that they're too horrible for Jesus' compassion to work. Or that his compassion and his generosity that typically can find the best in people probably isn't going to find the best in me. Or maybe it's just that feeling that you're in line, and you're waiting to get in, but eventually you just kind of assume that all the seats around the table are going to get full. And then I know that it says that it's for everybody, but it's not really for everybody. And at some point along the line, you believe you're going to be left out. And yet Jesus promises that the only way that you would be left out is by your choice to stay left out. The choice is actually yours. But as far as the master of generosity is concerned, as far as it matters 
to the one who can protect and the one who can heal and the one who can rewrite and the one who can redirect and the one who can forgive and, and the one who has this unending amount of generosity that, that wants to give to you lavishly as far as he's concerned. There is room at the table. There's a seat that is waiting for you. And that's not only who Jesus was, and it's not only what Jesus taught, it's who Jesus is right now. And if you've been given the impression that, that Jesus is exclusive, he's inclusive. And if somehow you've been given the impression that Jesus is judgmental, he's actually forgiving. And if somehow you've been given the idea that to follow Jesus and to, to accept Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy and, 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 and his forgiveness is somehow burdensome for you, the truth is he wants to lighten your load. He has prepared a table for you in the presence of all of the ugliness of this world. And there is plenty of room for you at the table because our Savior, our Lord, Jesus, who I strongly believe in, who is my Savior and is my Lord and is my leader and is my forgiver, is eagerly generous, is lavishly generous, is unendingly generous. And he wants to pour out that generosity of compassion and love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and empathy and I see you to you. No matter who you are, no matter how tall or horrible you think your pile of sin is, he has a seat for you but the choice is yours. Let me pray for that choice right now. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for preparing a table for us where you would want us to sit. That you would want us in all of our mess, in all of our shortcomings, in all of the ways that we are not who you created us to be in all the ways that we are not representations of you that you would want us to come as we are and sit at the table to have a relationship with you that then turns out to have more compassion and more forgiveness and more love and more mercy and more grace that is still to come. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice, but we thank you for who Jesus is and the model that he was and the teacher that he was and the example and guide that he continues to be today. And it's in his name and in his generosity that we pray. Amen.